Welcome to the Root of Power podcast, where I teach you how to chase your joy, find alignment, and create a life and a business that you love using actionable methods, interviews, and inspiring stories from people who know that true freedom is found within. I'm your host, your always hype woman and sometimes ass kicker, Amanda Chills, and I am so proud of you for choosing to step into your power. Come along, we've got dreams to build. Hello, Root of Power fam. We have got Sarah Foster here, who is the English equivalent of a CEO of a very large, very impactful company. And she is going to talk to us about it and her beliefs on businessship and her beliefs on confidence and how that's essential. And she is an author who writes about confidence and building it and owning it. And I am so excited. Welcome. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Amanda, and hi, listeners. <laughs> how how do you get to be a CEO? Well, <laughs> you have to have confidence. You have to back yourself. Um, yeah. Especially so, as a female. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So one of the, the little stories I always tell, so I became a, a statutory director, so with statutory responsibilities for the business in 2018, when I well, was four years ago now. So I was 36 years old. I was female. Um, and at that point, I'm led to believe that there were more CEOs in the world called John and Steve than there were female CEOs. So it's always cool. something that I'm very conscious of. And mm -hmm. I think that the beauty of the answer to that question is there's lots of different routes to get yeah. there. So I took quite an unventional route to the boardroom. I wasn't university educated when I was younger. I, I bypassed that because I wanted to get straight into the world of work. And I started a career in sales, which enabled me to sort of absorb lots of different experiences and meet mm -hmm. lots of people. I think you've got to have a bit of help along the way. I've been very yeah. lucky. I've had quite a few mentors that have pointed me in the, the right direction. Um, I did return to education later in life. So when I took on at the same time, I took on the, the directorship. I went back to, to uni and did a certificate in business administration in order to prepare me for, for the job at, at hand. But yeah, that's the route I took. You can take a an educational route. You know, you can set up your own business and build something that, that you like then it. run. So yeah, there's lots of ways to do it. <laughs> yeah. I am just so fascinated by corporate culture. I, I don't know how similar it is to like the US corporate culture, but I would I would get fired so quickly. So quickly <laughs> if I worked in corporate. It's just you don't fall in line. <laughs> oh my God. There's a reason I work for myself. Like I was very lucky when I was, so I'm a therapist. Um, and I was very lucky to have bosses who got me and also <laughs> drained me. <laughs> they were like, you can't talk to certain people because you're going to get in trouble. And I'm like, yeah. I hate being quiet. <laughs> So yeah. I always knew I would work for myself because I would quite literally die in corporate culture. Um, but I don't know how similar like UK corporate culture is to US, but I can imagine it's very intense. There's a lot of expectations. It can be very political. Yeah, yeah. And I think still very much globally, 
corporate culture is shareholder led and that's one of the things that as a a newer leader I I want to challenge and I think mm -hmm. that links into confidence and why I'm passionate about confidence yeah. because I think you can only challenge the status quo if you are confident and you're in a bit of a bad bitch. yeah yeah, yeah. And there's, so I talk a lot about energy and a lot of confidence is energy. So like people say, fake it till you make it, right? You can say the same sentence. And if you say it with confidence, people just believe you. Yeah. They just, if you act like you belong, people trust that. So, so much of confidence as well is energy. And I can imagine that when you stepped into this CEO role, like your energy had to shift. You had to command your energy in a very different way. What was that like for you? Yeah, I think you have to you, you have to have gravitas. And yeah. I think there's, there's lots of traits of a good CEO, in my opinion. You have to have a bit of humility as well and, mm -hmm. and be humble and know when to, to turn that up and when to turn it down. Mm -hmm. You have to be accountable. I think it all boils down to trust. If your people, mm -hmm. and by people, I mean all stakeholders, so shareholders, customers, staff, you know, staff employees, suppliers, mm -hmm. if they trust you and yeah. take you and your word at face value, you will be able to thrive in business yeah. and you will gain the respect that you need to get people to back your decisions. 100%. How do you build trust? Oh, well, I think it is about be, you know, being true to your word. So one of my biggest values, if you like, that I've mm -hmm. always been very conscious of is to keep to commitments. So when yeah. you say you're going to do something in a work setting or otherwise, you know, follow through with it. And mm -hmm. if you can't, because some, you know, we live in a topsy turvy world and sometimes sure. things happen that you mm -hmm. didn't foresee and you, you can't keep to something that you've committed to, then you need to be open about why and what you're going to do about that. Yeah. And I think that's how you, you build it. I, I love that. So I coded, um, so sometimes when people talk, my brain codes it in a different way. And so I coded that as like show up, show yeah. up for people consistently and that builds trust and then that trust builds confidence in you so when you come to them and you say hey I've shown up for a hundred percent of the things or I explained why I couldn't but now I want to do this new thing they're gonna have so much confidence in you because you have this long history of evidence that says they are reliable they do follow through like and it and like trust inspires confidence when you have a new idea as well. And it like it just pays dividends. Yeah. And don't say you're going to do things you're not going to do. You know, a lot of us learn that the hard yeah. way. We'll nod. Yes. You know, yeah. I'll do that. I'll do that. Knowing full well, we've not got the capacity in yeah. our working day to take it on. So I think one of the advantages of harnessing your authentic confidence is being able to say no but in a polite and pleasant and oh, constructive sure. way yeah you don't have to be a jerk <laughs> you just say I'm so sorry I don't have the room for that but that's confidence too to be able to set a boundary is a confidence and then again people trust you because you're honest yeah oh we just love that. How did you decide to be an author? Like, was that something you you always wanted to do? Was it just something that came on your heart and you're like, oh, my God, I got to teach people. I got to teach people. Yeah, I think it really my inspiration for the book 
was my kids so I've got two two children who are they're, they're grown up now so I had my children young as well which added another complexity to having a career because I was a young mum but I think watching my children so they're 21 and 17 now but watching them start high school and in this day and age with social media and comparison against others and everything that teenagers have to face you know, psychologically, um, I watched that and thought, you know, we're, we're, if we're not careful, we're going to head into a lack of confidence epidemic because everyone is being judged by one another and serving up these falsehoods via social media of how life is or how it should be and really being judged quite superficially. So that was the the motivation behind it. And I think, yeah, just to pay it forward. So I, I wrote the book in 2019, well, spanning 2019 and 2020, really. And it, it is just a little workbook that distills all of the tricks that I've learned over the years yeah. to get to where I, I wanted to be. And it's kind of, it is a workbook. So you work through it and you write in it and you can revisit Amazing. it. And it just outlines three simple steps that you can remind yourself of if you're having a, a bout of doubt or a period where your confidence is low, because it is, you know, it does change over time. And, and we all have times where we feel at our best in terms of confidence and, and not our best, myself included. So I just wanted to distill that into a handy guide that the next generation could have as and when they needed it. Right. I love that. I think it's such a gift, gift, maybe gift is the right word to go through something and then to turn around and to support the person behind you. Like, I find that a lot of people either kind of fall into two camps, right? They're like, well, I went through it, so you should have to, which is like, jump off a bridge with that BS. Like, no, thank you. And then there's the people who say, well, I go through it and I don't want you to. So here's the roadmap. Here's yeah. what I did. And that is such, like, that's so human to me. It's, a it's, privilege. So, it's so privileged, right? When we live in a place of privilege, the goal is that we bring others with us. Like a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about humanity is the best of us will turn around and say, you don't have to go through this. I went through it. Here's your roadmap. And I, I love that so much. And there was another place I was going to go with that, but now my brain lost it. Ah, what is the process like to write a book? Like, what was your process? Did you have a certain number of words a day? Did you work with a publisher? Like, yeah, I, I self-published purely because I'm a little bit impatient. And to get a publisher, there's a process that you have to go through and you have to court them and win them over. And, you know, I, I have a very demanding full-time job and a, and a family. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go through that, that process. So I, I self-published and... um the process for me, I, I kind of picked it up and dropped it again. So I didn't put any limits on how long it was going to take. I set out the framework and then I just made a commitment, really, that at evenings and weekends I'd review where I was up to and I'd work on it. And, yeah, it took as long as it, it took, you know, because I just wanted it to be the best it could be as a finished article. I did yeah. get some help with the editing and the publishing process, okay. which, you know, was was helpful. And I'm glad I did that. But yeah, it was, I actually started writing it. I was on holiday in Dubai and I was reading Wayne Dyer's Power of Intention. 
Mm-hmm. Sat on the sun lounger, um, big fan of, of Wayne and his literature. And um, I was inspired really to get going with that. So when my husband and my daughter were getting ready for dinner, I'd just spend half an hour on my laptop during that yeah. holiday, just getting started with the nice. framework. That is, I love that. Writing a book is something I've wanted to do for a hot minute, but like haven't sat down to do. It's <laughs> it like birthing a child. It's like, really? you know, yeah. you've got the, the different phases, the first trimester, yeah. <laughs> and you get all these different challenges and complexities as, as you go, but it's just as satisfying at, at the end. And, you know? Yeah. And I love it because people, you know, like people who can't have access to you and it's so like books are so accessible, especially with the internet yeah. where like people can really get a lot of value working through things on their own. Sorry. I just thought the goats were out (laughs) (laughs) goats, and they, their life dream is to be out every day. That's just, that's that's what they spend their life figuring out how to do. Uh, but it's one of our turkeys and I was like, (laughs) goats, but it's just a turkey. (laughs) Oh, the farm is the best thing I've ever done. The best thing I've ever done. Um, yeah, I, I am obsessed with my farm. What is the most fun thing about being a CEO? What do you love about it? I would say it's that no two days are the same. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's not a prescriptive job. You have a, you do have a job description, obviously, which is mainly centered around building and driving the strategy for the business, but you never quite know what you're going to come up against, you know, and on both sides. So some days it's head in hands, you know, just don't know how to deal with this particular situation (laughs) because ultimately you're the backstop for everything. So um, anything that is either particularly, um, opportunistic or particularly challenging will weave its way to your desk and I think that that's fun because you get to be I'm as is evident with the book I'm a fan of getting out of your comfort zone I really Mm. think that's where your best life kind of can be found so yeah I'm I'm pushed out of my comfort zone on a regular basis and for me I like that you know to an extent obviously I don't want to get into overwhelm but I think the the job really allows you to be exposed to different situations, to meet different people, to travel, to, to find out how others are doing things. And that's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a journey. It's great. I I love that. I actually call the comfort zone, the misery zone, because I think (laughs) if you stay there, you end up with a miserable life. Like we're meant to expand, not into like the terror zone, but like we, we want to continually stretch and stretch. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so your company does environmental consulting. Can you talk about your the work that you guys do and how you fill in the gaps where governments are dropping the ball? Yeah, yeah. And there isn't enough strategy. And the problem with the climate crisis is it is a global sort of climate crisis and so governments really need to work together globally Mm -hmm. to to set standards and we have a lot of inequality in the world Mm -hmm. right now and and that just you know we're not forging forward as one which which saddens me so yeah Yeah. what we do we work with about 1600 customers across mainly 
sort of retail and manufacture and some importers and we, and we help them navigate their legal obligations so the things that government tell tell them they mm. have to do like deal with their packaging waste effectively and yeah. deal with electrical waste and batteries so we help with all of that sort of box ticking but more recently we are seeing appetite which is marvelous for non-mandatory things so voluntary oh. commitments yeah more like, than the bare minimum yeah more than the bare minimum. minimum so a lot of businesses right now are focused on esg environmental social and governance which sets out a business's strategy for ensuring that they protect the environment and that they protect their people and, and that they do everything right in terms of government governance so they pay the right amount of taxes and they're yeah. actually you know what what we want to drive towards is businesses being net positive, which means you put back more than you take. And we've had this very linear approach to business through capitalism for, gosh, 100 years plus now, where it's all about extract, build, you know, get mm -hmm. as much out of the workers as you can at the at the lowest price, make as much right. money for the, for the fat cats, for the shareholders. And I think that is really starting to change now. And there's a few sort of quite popular initiatives such as B Corp, which has come, come out of the USA. So B Corp is a framework that allows businesses to focus their decision making equally on people and planet as profit. So it's yeah. not just about financial performance of a business. It's about how much have you helped the community? Yeah. How well do you treat your staff? How many trees did you plant? How much yeah. rewilding have you done in your outside spaces? Is yeah. the solar on the roof? You know, all those kind of things, which is a, a fabulous place to be in and something I'm very mm -hmm. keen to draw attention to. Yeah, which is the entire, like when, so I came across a term, I don't know, sometime in, my brain is bad at timelines, but sometime in my lifetime, I came across the term, like the social contract that businesses yes. ideally were upholding. Like you don't just exist to make profit for the owners. You exist to improve your community. And you're so right when you say that, like for such a long time, it was how much money can we make? How can we exploit? And that was such the point of businesses and to see that transition where like businesses feel like there's humanity back in them again, maybe is like the right way to, I don't know, a way to put it is so nice. Like take care of your people. Yeah. That's, that's your job. Yeah. <laughs> your job is to take care of your people in your community, not just to exploit. And I love, yeah, that's, that is so wonderful. So you've been really like, you have kind of a bird's eye view of that trend. Yeah. Trending? Trending. <laughs> yeah. Word, yeah. It's becoming popular. And yeah, govern governments do need support from business because, you know, business makes the world go round. Most mm -hmm. of us at some point will have some kind of vocation to sustain ourselves, whatever yeah. part we play in that. So we're a bigger force together and mm -hmm. if every business made this commitment to be net positive and to look at its yeah. environmental impacts and its societal impacts as well as make a profit and there's some great examples of that I mean Ben and Jerry's ice cream are a B Corp so they we love them <laughs> we stand Ben and Jerry's yeah yeah so you can do, and, and they're a very profitable business mm -hmm. so it can be done you know there's proof of concept that 
this can work but I think the the old school thinking is some kind of fear you know if we lean into this then it'll all go wrong and you need it'll to cost too much money in a wall yeah do you see I would imagine that when people start investing in that way because that's what it is it's an investment one I can imagine the business is much more sustainable because now you have systems in place why would good people leave your business when they're taken care of yeah right like people don't just stay for a paycheck if you get the culture right if you get the people right they'll carry you through hell but you have to get it right and it's like you know when when we saw this mass exodus of people from the workforce so much of that is because managers bosses are toxic at best and destroying lives at worst and people are like um actually i don't have to do this there's companies who do take care of those people and those companies thrive. So I'm wondering if when you work with companies to transition in that way, if you actually see their profits and their profitability go up. Yeah. Yeah, I think we do. And I think those businesses who are choosing to do this and investing in it, they are of a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. So they're probably, it right. probably doesn't just have to do with the fact that they are open to a better way of working. It probably mm -hmm. boils down to the fact that they're innovative and passionate by nature. So that right. growth mindset on the board, and this links back to diversity on a board and having representation of many different perspectives, not just gender, but age, ethnicity, yeah social experience yeah yeah, yeah. All, all of those elements come into play and bring innovation yeah. so i think that is actually probably the root cause is that the businesses who are getting on board with this are very innovative and they're driving change and that's yeah. why they're profitable i i just love that mm. so as a ceo like what is your typical what does your typical day look like? Do you have set hours? Um, do you get to like time block your day? Like what is that? Yeah, so there's there's always meetings to attend. Um, <laughs> and so you, what one of the tricks that I've learned really over the years is to block out white space in between those meetings, particularly in this day and age where we're all meeting on Zoom or mm. Teams or on online. And, you know, you can have one meeting adjacent to another and no time to even go and fill your glass of water mm. or, or, you know, take a toilet break or anything like that. So I think you've boundaries, you've got to set um your stall out in terms of your working week. But one of the things that we do as a business, because we, we genuinely want to go on this journey of empowering our employees, we have full flexible working. So Amazing. it is in my gift to choose the hours that I that I do work, you know, yeah. and in return for that, the business asks that I achieve my objectives and that I mm -hmm. keep to all of my commitments, again, following yeah. through on everything that I commit to. So we ask that of every employee. However, you know, if there's a sports day or um, a gym class, 
or maybe just you want to go and get your hair done on a Wednesday mm. afternoon because it's not busy in the hairdressers yeah. then or there's an offer on then, you, you're well within your rights to do that as an employee and you are empowered to manage your workload, to put your own out of office on, to make sure anything that you man in that time yeah. is, is dealt with. Um, so I try and lead by example on that and I try yeah. and utilise flexible working visibly so that others can all see that's okay. And, and that's it like, gives cool. them permission. Yeah, 100%. I love that. I think that's one of the most beautiful things to come out of COVID is like so many businesses that were like, we can't possibly work from home is like, shut up. Yes, you can. Yeah. And then they were forced to. And oh, my God, what did we know would happen? People are so much happier. They're more productive. The work still gets done. And it's, yeah. you know, COVID was horrible. Obviously, no, you know, yes. But that is such a beautiful thing to come out is all these businesses are like, oh, I don't have to micromanage you. I don't have to take over. You don't have to be in prison to work here. Yeah. You and actually, your job. one of the nicest things when when that happened for us, we were, we're, we're 45 employees. So we were able mm -hmm. to mobilize working from home quite quickly. Everyone had a laptop and from day one, we made sure that everyone knew that we as a leadership team recognised that it was work invading home rather than mm -hmm. home invading work. So if you yeah. were homeschooling, you know, or you had toddlers running around the place or dogs like we, we've got <laughs> ourselves and um, bring them on camera, you know, talk about them. Don't shush them. Don't shush the yeah. kids up in the corner. It happened. It's let, okay. Let them know. Yeah. Mum mm -hmm. or dad is working. We're on a meeting. Here's my colleagues and let, it's their home. So they need to feel yeah. comfortable. If you're situated at the kitchen table, it's, it's their kitchen table first and foremost. And yeah. that really worked for us. So we had, we had extended employees joining meetings <laughs> and it was really fun. We got to know each other. <laughs> It's cool because like you have children, they're so nosy. They're like, yeah. what are you doing? And it's like to engage that curiosity. And it's, I, I can imagine it was very cool bonding as well. Like, yeah, you know, it's, I don't have kids because they're so hard, but to be able to engage them is, this is what I do. And here's my colleagues. And now they're a part of your life. And that's such a compassionate space. Like, it sounds like you really, one of your values as a leader is like compassion and allowing people to be who they are and where they are and to just grow from that, which is lovely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I truly believe that's how you get the best out of people. So in return for that, mm -hmm. I, I know there are members of my team, colleagues who will go above and beyond you know mm -hmm. when when needed and when yeah. times are tough and we sometimes all businesses go through periods where colleagues need to put extra work in or do tasks sure. that are very difficult and mm -hmm. it's a two-way street I love that what did you guys do with your offices are people flexible now do they yeah so we've retained the office and actually we um We've grown through throughout COVID. We've continued to, to grow as a business because the sector we're in is is so so buoyant at the moment and so topical and there's lots of opportunities. So we have now a hybrid working system where um because actually on the flip side, you know, there is a there are certain tasks and certain activities that require collaboration and that are easier to get into a meeting room together. We employ a lot of data analysts and they will work on data projects together. 
and it's easier for them to interact sometimes in person. So typically the team will come in a couple of days a week and work from home a couple of days a week yeah. and we kind of hot desk around that. So right. yeah, we've retained the office space and we're set on a, a country estate in, in Yorkshire. So it's very pleasant. It's not- Can I come out of your office? All. Like, um, yes, please. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so it's a nice place. Oh, oh, what? I wonder if my house counts as a country estate. I'm in the country. <laughs> We've got that part right. I don't know about anything else, but we're definitely in the country. Yeah, well, you have goats. We have sheep. We have sheep, you know, raising the land. They're crazy. We never had sheep before. Um, we kind of, like, inherited them a couple years ago. There was a guy who was like bringing a bunch of animals in and out of our farm and they were really sick. And so we were like, bro, you got to stop bringing animals. Like this is not going to work. And then we wouldn't let him come back because he, all of his animals were sick and we're like, they're ours now. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so we like inherited a bunch of goats and sheep. We've never had sheep before. <laughs> they are strange little things. Back to full health now though. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. so, so some of them were so sick, we ended up losing them, which was, you know, we tried everything we could, but they just came in so sick, but the ones that we ended up saving a lot of them and he was really mad. And we were like, you can die mad about it. I know you're not taking these animals back. Um, yeah. So we ended up inheriting like 20 goats and sheep <laughs> and they're monsters. We have, one, um, we have one named princess. She's a big boer goat. I don't know if you guys have that breed. They're, they're big meat goats. Um, yeah. So they're like white and brown and they have floppy ears and they're just, oh my God, they're so cute. And she likes to sit in the sun and she'll cross her little front legs and she'll turn her face to the sun and stick her tongue out and close her eyes. And so I started calling her princess Aww. and she's a monster, but we love her. Yeah. Love her yeah. So, yeah. And that will, that, that will make you more tuned into you know, the climate crisis and the planet and how we're mm -hmm. all interlinked and we're all dependent on one another. Yeah. You know, no one can make it on their own in this world. Right. How, how do you sit with, because you, if you're at the forefront as you are, like you also see the devastation that a lot of people don't see because they're not in this world. So how do you carry that without um, like becoming hopeless? Yeah. Yeah. And it is, you know, you could, you could go that way. So for me, I, I have a lot of faith in humanity and I think the majority of people are good, you know, and have good intentions. I think there is the, the route to us overcoming the world's biggest problems is, is education and challenging the status quo and getting to the facts. I think there's a lot of I mean, we call it greenwashing in our sector, but misinformation, you know, there's a lot mm -hmm. of misinformation and people sort of um, make things look better than they are, you know, whether yeah. it be packaging or products or environmental impacts, they make it look better than it is. So I think you need to follow the science, but I think the way the way to stay motivated and stay positive about the future is is to to look 
for inspiration from people who are doing great things and there are so yeah. many people who are volunteering mm -hmm. or starting up non-for-profit businesses or coming up with really cool ideas you know to mm -hmm. get litter out of the sea you know kids coming out of college coming up with great tech ideas yeah. that can help solve the biggest problems so i think focus on those because yeah. you know it's like it's put your blinders on yeah and focus on the work yeah yeah, yeah. How do you feel about self-confidence as um, like a construct? So the I'll give you more information when I ask that question. So a lot, I find a lot of people think self-confidence is like, um, if you, if you're self-confident, you're confident in everything, right? Instead of saying self-confidence is situational yeah. And it depends. So like you may be really confident in your ability to play the guitar, but you're not very confident in your ability to like speak in public or you're really confident in your work as a CEO, but you became, um, I don't know, you took up golf and you're like, I'm the worst golf player on the planet. So if someone is looking to build self-confidence, what, what do they do? Yeah. So I outline in the book, I've got the book here, Yabba Dabba Do It, for those who are looking on, on the so Seals Live. So it's based, the, the name is kind of like based on the Flintstones, Yabba Dabba yeah. Do, and um, you, your brain is wired to keep you safe, not happy. You'll know this with your psychological sort of yes. education and background. And the brain is still wired as it was when Fred Flintstone was around, mm -hmm. you know, and there was real danger. So a bear could come and eat you or you wouldn't have enough food or you'd freeze right. to death because you had no clothes. And that was real back then. But now we don't have those same um, factors that are right. likely yeah. to sort of wipe us out. But we still we still have that primal reaction to certain mm -hmm. situations. So, I mean, to circle back to, to your question, it's interesting you said, you know, you're confident as a CEO, but not as a golfer, which is probably quite um, relevant <laughs> for me. I don't think I'm that good at golf. I think I've done pitch and put once or twice. Um, and I think that has to do with, you know, that certain situation triggering something. And that mm -hmm. has to do with experience and how well prepared you are. So in the book, I outline three steps and I'll just talk, I'll just talk about them briefly. Yeah. So step one is prepare. So that is all about the mindset side. So there's some tips and techniques like visualization and journaling and um, setting yourself up for success. But okay. it's not only the mindset, it's also the physical side. So things like drinking enough water, getting enough sleep, getting out in nature, doing things right. that make you happy. Not being in survival mode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then yeah. you are setting yourself up for success. So you might go and play golf one day after you've done all of those things to look mm -hmm. after yourself and to prepare and be fantastic. But then you might have, you know, a three day bender drinking and not getting sleep and, yeah. you know, having arguments with all your loved ones and you go to golf and, you, and you're terrible. So yeah. I think it's subjective and I think you have the power to choose how you set yourself up for success in the preparation phase. You know, you wouldn't, I use the um, analogy in the book, when we build a house or a building, you know, a school, a hospital, we build the foundations. We don't just throw the bricks on and hope for the best, it'll fall down. <laughs> so preparation yeah. is key in confidence in terms of 
setting yourself up for success. And, you know, to take an example, if you're going for an interview, make sure you plan your route, make sure mm. if the train's cancelled, you've got a backup plan to get a cab yeah. or to drive, make sure that you've got your outfit ready. The less you have to think about, mm-hmm. the better you'll do in the next phase. Yeah. So the next phase after prepare is do. And this is where you do no right. thinking at all. So you just throw out procrastination or any thinking and you just you just have a go. And by doing that, you you will build confidence because Mm -hmm. competence will build confidence. So by having a go, you've only got two possible outcomes. It will either go really well and you'll feel great or it won't go as well as you wanted. But you'll have some information to help you Mm. determine why that was. Yeah. And that leads into the third step, which is review. So it's prepare, do, review. And review is all about data. So we mm-hmm. live in a data-driven world. Right now we're in 2022. Data's more valuable as a commodity than precious metal. Um, and we have a very advanced data download system in in our brain and in our intuition in our gut and in our heart which will tell us if we're prepared to listen will tell Mm. us what we need to know so the the data side is continually reviewing taking your own feedback loops on situations Mm -hmm. what's triggered you why in what situation did you feel less confident and then working on and circling back to prepare to work on that um, and that's why I describe it as, as a workbook, because there is space to write things down, which so to give an example, I call it writing down your anchors. So your anchors Ooh. are things that you've done in life that you've been really proud of. So yeah. been cooking Christmas dinner for 10 mm-hmm. people or the first time you rode a bike and you realised yeah. that no one was holding on the back anymore and off you went and you felt yeah. great. We'll all have situations that we can draw upon where we were just our most confident self and you know they are you regardless of whether you're having a good day or a bad day so writing them down and referring to them is is advantageous I I believe we can all harness authentic confidence to do whatever we need to whatever we want to in life and find joy and I I find too that people who are confident not only is life easier they get farther because they're not like unintentionally blocking themselves. Does that make sense? Like if you're willing to try and look stupid, the amount of things you can do now is exponential versus if you're not willing to look dumb. Yeah. You're so, so, so limited. So being willing to go through that process and to depersonalize data, right? Like failure is not personal. Being bad at something you just started isn't personal. Everybody's bad at something when they first start something. So taking data for what it is and using it to say, okay, this went really well. Why? This didn't go well. Why? And then just continually fixing is breeds competence, which you are so right, breeds confidence because confidence comes from action. You're never, you're never going to be confident playing the piano if you've never played the piano before. You have to practice. That's right. And there's a nice little chapter in the book called Be Your Own Bestie, 
because <laughs> this links into self-talk and in mm -hmm. particular we're, we're quite mean to ourselves by, by oh, nature we will talk to ourselves in a way that we would never talk to our best friend and internally we we have mm -hmm. this dialogue that is completely unhelpful so there are mm -hmm. some examples in there about you know if you catch yourself doing that and berating yourself and talking to yourself in such a way that is unconstructive just imagine that whatever situation it is that's happening is happening to your best friend and what would you say to them because yeah. the likelihood it and just see you know what comes up because the likelihood is that you'd speak with more kindness and with more yeah. constructive you know input and more positivity than than you do with yourself but we, yeah. we become conditioned to beat ourselves up and that serves no purpose no purpose a shame-based motivation does not work no we think it does because other people shamed us but it feels so much better for someone to say hey you tried this part didn't work and this part was really great and you're just like oh, oh my god you're right yeah yeah Is and the we'll it oh, go ahead Sorry. No, I was going to say, and, and just keep asking, you know, what's the worst that can happen? What's mm -hmm. the worst that can happen? I might feel a bit silly. Well, you know, what's okay. the worst that can happen after that? I yeah, don't... you're not going to die about it. It's yeah, fine. yeah. Oh, I love that. Is there plans to write another book? I would love to write another book. And actually, I'm inspired. I've just read a, a book. I've just finished it this morning, actually, by Paul Polman, who was the CEO of Unilever, a um, very large corporation, as, as I'm sure you'll know. Ben and Jerry's is part of their group. And oh, okay. um, the book is called Net Positive, And it really sets out how Unilever is a very big, you know, global corporation tackled yeah. sort of sustainable living with their with their plans and I would love to write something similar because I'm very mm -hmm. passionate I honestly believe that the world's biggest problems which I believe to be the climate crisis war inequality poverty I think mm -hmm. they can be solved by people having the confidence to start and operate businesses for good and I think if we can yeah. educate the business community on the benefits of that like we were talking about a bit earlier the world will be yeah. a better place so that that would be book number two as and when it. I get time <laughs> I love it oh that is so beautiful so how do people find you how do people find the book uh, so it's on Amazon. So if you search just Yabba Dabba Do It, Sarah Foster, um, you'll find it there. There's quite a few reviews. So you can have a little look what others say about it, you know, and um, you can get a sneak peek of it as well. I do also have um, a website for kind of that side of what I do for the book, which is attitudeacademy.co.uk. So all the W's and then attitudeacademy as one word, .co.uk. And I share blogs and thought leadership and podcasts that I do as well on, on there. So if, if you want to um, explore other topics that I've, I've spoken about, head there. And then in my day job, the web, web address is www.complydirect.com. Dot com. Um, we are mainly a UK-based business, but if there are 
lots of kind of uh, knowledge banks on there in terms of what to do to be more environmentally savvy and um, what we do on the environmental side as a business if, if you wanted to go and explore that oh yeah. I love it if people forget everything we said and they're like I don't know what what I just listened to for the last hour what do you want them to remember I want them to remember that they have one life. It is their life. They are the captain of it. No one else. They came in by themselves. It sounds grim, but they came in alone. They'll go alone. This is this is your moment. So live your moment as, as you want to. And I want to just pay homage to one of your kind of catchphrases that I've, I've heard, you know, in other podcasts that you've done. So you very much talk about if you believe a certain thing you'll just make you'll make it so you know you'll talk yourself into it you'll engineer it to happen and my take on that is if you believe you can or if you believe you can't you're probably yeah. right so yeah. yeah I think you know value yourself you're here once go be empowered do it your yeah. way do it your way as Sinatra said <laughs> we love some Frank <laughs> Oh my gosh, thank you. Thank you so much. You are such a doll. Thanks. This was beautiful. Yeah, I've loved speaking to you and to your audience. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.